0: Amen. Before we go uh, really any further, I want to give you guys a second chance to respond. When you have beautiful worship and you sense the Lord's presence, that I want to respond out of that, but I don't know, maybe there's somebody else who feels that since that time of worship, the Lord did something in their heart in their mind and their spirit, and they want to share that. So we want to give you an opportunity to do that. Um, before I go any further, uh, if anybody wants to share, please just give you a moment here. Don does. has got this beautiful smile there. <laughs> <coughs> After watching that little short video clip there back memories because what he witnessed I witnessed the feeling that was went through him went through me when I was in my car accident and my back was they, I had to go in for surgery they were going to do take the vertebrae out and put a rod through my back but those feelings that he said that he felt go through his body went through my body and when that was when that was done when I stood I was st- amen so we're going to pray for Aiden this morning anybody else anybody else want to share with us anybody else thinking about sharing with us you know <laughs> some of you sit there and you're like uh maybe amen okay amen, amen. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning. You are a God of miracles. Yes. You're a God of the impossible. And I believe what ties our hands is what loosens yours. Lord, when man can't do it, the only one left is you. And Lord, I want to thank you that even when man can do it, the only one that's left, that's left is still you. Yes. We're still going to stand on the ground of the promises of your word. We're going to begin to live out what the Scripture says. And Lord, we want to thank You that You have called us to pray. Lord, You've called us as a church right here, this church, to pray in the name of Jesus for miracles that glorify Jesus, that magnify You, Lord. And so, Lord, we don't know the details about Aidan's life, but we do know this, that You gave Your life for his life that inside of him is stirring the difficulties of what it means to try and manage life inside of sin that's not forgiven, that's not washed, that's not cleansed, and that he needs to know that you're the only one who can wash that away. And, Father, I don't know about the evil that happens, Lord, or what might be in his life, but I know one thing, that evil leaves when Jesus comes in. And, Lord, you said in your word, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And so, Lord, right now, I just pray, Father, for Aiden to learn what it means to submit to God, to give his heart to you, that his life belongs to you, Jesus, and that, God, in that he will be free from all darkness, all evil, and that, Lord, that you'll bring him in to the fullness of who you are. For, Lord, you want to deliver Aiden from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your dear son. And today, this church prays, Lord, that you would move in your hand, God, it is not sure that it cannot save, and the Lord, I don't know what he professes, but I do know this, that God, if we profess Jesus with our heart, there is no evil that can have room in our hearts. No evil that can have room in our life. So in the name of Jesus, we just pray your blessing over Aiden. Yes. Oh Lord, what a blessing it is to have Jesus as our Savior, yes. as our God, as our King. Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, I want to pray over this church this morning. Yes. I want to thank you, God, that we're not just a church. Lord, we're not just a meeting place. and We're not just people. Lord, we're Your people. And we've been called the body of Christ because, Lord, we minister Jesus Christ to this community. And Father, we're not just ministering to the needs, physical needs of the community and so grateful that You do, Lord, in miraculous ways, but Lord, to the spiritual needs of this community. Because, God, there's one thing that we know, that You're the only one who can meet that. You're the only one who can meet the need of the heart. And, Lord, there's some... Broken hearts in this community, and we're your church. So, Lord, right now I just call this church out to be a witness in this community. Lord, you said that we would receive the power of the Holy Spirit and we would be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And somehow I feel like Enterprise fits that category that we're somewhere in the uttermost part of the earth. And right now, this church has a job to do. The people in this place, God, are called to be witnesses of Jesus. So, God, I want to thank you that this church is going to be a great witness for Christ. Lord, I want to thank you that, God, our homes will be many churches. The places that we assemble, Lord, our jobs, our workplaces, God. You're going to call some prayer meetings, I believe, Lord, out of these job sites. God, I don't give a care of what the, the, the employers and their frame of mind is. Jesus, you're going to reach them. I want to thank you, Lord, that you reach the hardest of hearts, the most unlikely people, God. And I want to praise you right now that you're calling this church out for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the word this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, as you anoint my lips to be able to share your word. What a privilege. What a blessing, God, that you would do such a thing, God. And I consider it a miracle every time Sunday and a mercy that you would feed us. Because, Lord, we want to be fed from heaven. Lord, we don't want something for our brains only, but, Lord, something for our hearts so we can live for you in this day and age. I want to thank you today for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Isaiah fifty five. See, there we go. Isaiah 55. So thankful for this chapter in Isaiah. Isaiah is rich and full of um, the heart of God, the wisdom of God, and the fullness of God in it. And I li- if you're not going to Psalms, you're probably going to Isaiah somewhere. This is the amazingness of this book. Need. And there's three parts that I noticed in, in the chapter of Isaiah. The first part is the part of faith. The second part is the second part of repentance. And the third part is the part of fruitfulness. And for me, I feel like this is the Gospel. And if you can't read in the Old Testament and see the Gospel, you're missing the Word of God in there. And I like how it's been shared with me when I was young that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. That it's all one book. And it's all the same God. And there's no differences ultimately. So when we read here, we're reading what, we, what we've what we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're reading it here, but why is that crucial? When we read in Isaiah, why is it crucial that we see the Gospel in it? Because... We have to realize that it wasn't the moment that Jesus came and was born and when Jesus died on a cross. that salvation was demonstrated to mankind. But from the very beginning of Genesis, God had something in mind. And from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you see an image of the Son of God. You see an image of the salvation of God already mapped out for us. And so I love reading here from beginning to end and realizing that there's no path that deviated. If you were an Old Testament saint or a New Testament saint, the difference was in the timeline when Jesus Christ came. But the only hope for them was the hope we have, and that was they were looking for a Savior to come, and we're the one putting our faith in the Savior who has come. And the Bible says that the Gospel was preached unto them as well as unto us. Well, who is them? Who is them? The Old Testament people. And you see in Acts when Stephen is preaching and he shares and he says that all the way from Abraham that God was beginning to share and he said even Moses was that prophet that would come and he told you of. The ultimate prophet who would come which was Jesus. And so Moses preached Christ. Abraham, his life and lineage preached Christ. And so when you read the New Testament you'll see Paul filtering back into as a matter of fact Where did we get our New Testament? It's interesting that before any of the writers shared any of it, that they had shared, um, they were sharing out of Old Testament Scriptures and revealing that finally the prophecy had come true. That everything that was shared in the Old Testament had come true for them in that day. And so you could literally, if you understood that, you you could leave out Matthew, Mark, and all the way to Revelation, and you would still have the Gospel. You would still have the Gospel. Super important for us. So in Isaiah 55, reading in verse 1, Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. And he that has no money, come by and eat. Yea, come by wine and milk, without money and without price. Verse 2, Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfies not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. I don't know, do you hear the Gospel in that? Do you hear the Gospel? What Jesus did? This is how everyone that thirsts, you finally come to this place in your life that nothing else will fill the inner void of your heart. And you're wondering, what am I going to do about life's struggles? And I remember going through that myself. And I want you to recall, where was that in your life? Because I remember, as you've heard me share my story, I come from an alcoholic home. I come from the mind of what's it going to be like. I remember praying to God saying, Lord, what are you going to do? I pray that you'll keep my my dad from killing my mom tonight. Because he was threatening her life. And I would stay up in the middle of the night while he was drunk and lost in this darkness and threatening my my mom's life. And I didn't have life. I didn't have hope. And I remember growing up most of my teenage years to this feeling of growing closer and closer to the edge of suicide. Because I didn't see the value and the worth of my life in that. And so you understand, like for those kinds of people, you understand why this is so important. Because there is a thirsting. There is a desire for something that I'm not experiencing in my daily life and in my home. And I wonder, where is it at? Is there any hope in this life? For one of me, one of the most amazing miracles... I would call it a miracle, was watching a man for the first time walking on, working on his car, and he wasn't cussing when uh, he was having trouble with it. And I saw the difference between a Christian man and a non-Christian man, and it really touched my heart. And I remember the love that I felt, and I remember what it felt like to be in their home and the atmosphere of that house. And when I would come in and I was hearing worship music for the first time, and the highlight of their life, and the beauty of his testimony, and I remember him sharing, saying to me, He said, I was an alcoholic and I was praying to God. And I said, Lord, if you will, this is what he said. He said, if you will take away this desire for alcohol, I I will serve you the rest of my life. And he said, from that day forward, he never had a desire to drink alcohol again. And he radically turned his life around. But behind the scenes was the amazing testimony of his wife who said, I just prayed for him what I believed God wanted to do in his life. And you know, it didn't happen the first day she prayed. And thank God for women who can pray for their husbands and husbands that can pray for their wives. Who, You know what? Your concern isn't about what you're seeing on the surface. Your concern is about what you're seeing, what you're realizing. The glory of God is supposed to be demonstrated in a different way within their life. And so I remember this and this atmosphere. And there's so many things that I could tell you about it. But I remember the difference of going from a table of of men in Drinking around the table and talking, and and the jokes that they shared, and now at a Christian table and listening to the uplifting and edifying things that they were sharing. Laughter was on both sides, but this one had holy laughter. This one was godly laughter. This one was ungodly laughter. I remember growing up in that and feeling like, what do I have to give? What do I, as a person, and the the darkness in my life and the struggle that I'm going through. And so you got to understand when you're. Going through like what I was, this feeling of I just don't. I want to end my life. I don't want this because I don't feel love in any corner. And I couldn't define for you what my struggle was. And I remember this this man coming to me and sharing with me little by little and opening up the way for me. And so uh, here I'm confronted with this part of the scripture that says, "Oh, everyone that thirsts, come." And what I needed was an invitation. I needed an opportunity. I, knew to, I needed to know that there was a place that I could come. And so, I also needed to know that I didn't have anything to offer. You know, that was some of the struggle is, is that, uh, what about the way that I live? What about my sinful condition? Is there anything, can I do anything to make myself more offerable to God? Can I do better? So some, some of us feel like I just got to be a better person. I got to act nicer. I got to be more pure. And in order to be accepted in the family of God and realizing that that's not how the Lord's work was and it never will be. So it's this kind of thing is it's interesting. It says here that he has no money. (laughs) That was perfect for me. You know, like I didn't have anything poor, but it wasn't just physical money. This is the idea is like spiritual money. And yet buy and eat. Come and and buy. And I was like, why does it say buy? Why does not it just say receive freely? And I think the reason is is because you got to understand it it cost it cost for what you're about to receive. It didn't cost you it cost Jesus Christ. The last night I was in this place and I was praying. And I was praying because I was like, "Lord, it used to be in my mind that the reason why I wanted to see you do things is because it would if if it would minister to me to see things happen. I wanted your presence for my sake. I wanted to have a godly life for my sake. I wanted out of sin because of the struggles that I would go through. But I remembered coming into this place last night and thinking, Lord, what have you done? You're the one who agonized and grieved and broke upon the cross. You're the one who shed blood. You're the one who was crucified. This is all about Jesus. This is all about His glory. This isn't about man. And this isn't about any particular Christian. And this isn't about any denomination or any church. This is about the Son of God who was crucified and gave Himself for the world. And there was a need for an invitation and a reality in that in my life. And I believe that the same thing happened in your life somewhere where you recognized you needed Jesus in your life. And that outside of Jesus Christ, what does man have to offer God? If you gave Him your good works, if you gave Him your nice style and good behavior, If you gave to God that, what would that compare to what Jesus Christ did? And the wasted effort to try and recommend my good behavior on the best day that you've ever lived, and know that that will never do. And so God calls us to a place of faith, because the reality is is that we're challenged. Can you believe that nothing else will save you? Nothing else will regenerate you. Nothing else will make you alive to God. Nothing else will take you in the deadness of your sins and resurrect you to God. Do you understand that it takes faith to step beyond the gap of humanity and say, there's no shrink, there's nobody out there who's going to give me the information that's going to cure the problem within my soul or my heart? For me, it was a living reality because when I woke up one day without depression, and without the struggle on my mind anymore, when I woke up in the same alcoholic home in the same dark atmosphere, but I didn't have the same darkness in my heart, I knew this was real. I knew it was real. It became personally real for me. I knew it became real because my desires had changed. My love for model cars, I had 32 of them that were stacked on the shelf. And my desire for those cars had changed. I had no care to it anymore. My video game life and my TV watching life went out the door because for once in my life, this book that was such a mystery and it didn't mean anything, now I was beginning to receive life from the Bible. And it turned my life around and my interests around and my heart around and my life was dramatically changed because He became real to me. You understand that's my heartbreak right now as I begin to just take, what does it mean for us to come together in any setting in any building, and talk about the Bible when it doesn't seem to be real, when our hearts are not drawn and moved toward God, there's a sense of the reality of that He is the sufficiency for the moment and the time being. And there isn't any Christian right now that's come to that place of climax in their life where they're totally fulfilled in everything that God intended. And just imagine this. Where is it that God wants the next point in your life that God wants to reach into So, I'm just thankful for that. So, I said here that that faith thirsts, and this is a challenge to the motive and objective of our hearts when we come to God. When we're thirsty for the Lord, it begins to make us, it challenges the motive for which we come to God. Are we coming just because we want relief for ourselves, or we really want glory for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And the object of that faith, because now it's not me believing in someone or something, it's me believing in Jesus and trusting in Him alone. And then faith comes without. Notice He says, come without. And so in this, our call is to come without money and without price, without anything in our life, and come to God, knowing that He'll give us what we need. I think it's interesting here is that everything that was written here in the first few verses was just things that God had for them. It's not something that they could supply for themselves. And then lastly... No other gospel. So in uh, verse 2, it says, Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? So there is no other way of satisfaction except we come through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would pray this, that we wouldn't lose our heart for the gospel, and we wouldn't lose our heart for the reality of the gospel of Jesus. Whether it's for you personally, or it's for others around you, but that you wouldn't lose the heart for God in the gospel of Jesus. Let's um, read in verse 3. Incline your ear and come unto me and hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you of the sure mercies of David. Behold, as I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader to, and a commander to the people. Behold, you shall call a nation that you know not, and nations that knew not you shall run unto you. Because the Lord your God, for the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. And in verse 6, Seek the Lord while He may be found. So this is the call of repentance. Seek the Lord while He may be found and call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and He will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In Ezekiel, he talks about to the wicked to, to proclaim a message. But he also says to proclaim a message to the righteous. And he says to the righteous, to Ezekiel, I want you to proclaim to the righteous that if the righteous man fall into sin, that he is to repent. And if he doesn't repent, then um, he will he'll no longer have that, uh, a forgiveness over his life. There's an interesting thing to this, is that I wonder how many of us need a message of repentance for ourselves. How many of us need a reality of a touch of God? And But I want to share this thought behind it, is that no matter where you are at, no matter what you've done, no matter what sin you've committed, no matter what evil lurks behind the scenes of the door of your life, no matter what it is, there's an open invitation right now. So seek the Lord right now. And He says, let let the wicked forsake His way. Let Him do it right now. There's nothing in this, the thought of this verse that gives the hint or the idea that it's for a time to come, maybe when things get down the road, that right now God has given an open invitation for you to be able to make your way, for me to make my way to Him. And I wonder if <clears throat> we're not seeing it. But there's a way right now. And so let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Notice it's not just the way he lives, but the way he thinks. Now, when I think of repentance, I see a lot of people with remorse. And I've gone through it and I've struggled with remorse. But remorse is not repentance. You may feel guilty. You may feel bad about it. You may, have even, you may even share with others the feeling that you desire to be different that I desire to be better or to do better than what I have. And I know because I lived in a home where the man I lived with constantly felt the guilt of his ways, but there wasn't repentance because he hadn't forsaken the way that he thought about his life. When it comes to repentance, it's a change in the way that we look at the world and the way that we see things from then on. And so there's a call of repentance. And I want to share with you, at the end of this chapter is the fruitfulness the joy, the fullness that God has. But you have to come. We have to invite ourselves and others to come. This is the way we go. We go through the cross and we come with repentance so that God can do a fuller work within our life. So repentance seeks. So there's only one object to be seeking right now and it's Jesus Christ. I think this is the thing that I want to highlight here is that repentance isn't a forsaking of your sin alone. And it isn't a forsaking of the mentality that you have to commit sin. What repentance is, is a change in the way you look at Jesus Christ. And we have to see Him differently. We have to love and admire and enjoy and desire Him in order to have a fuller repentance in our life. Repentance forsakes. In uh, in Proverbs, it tells us that um, he that confesses and forsakes his sin shall receive mercy. His way sanctifies our life. So God changes and purifies our hearts, and his thoughts sanctifies our minds. So in him, he's given us his mind, and he's given us his heart and his thoughts behind it. So I want to pray that this will be the same thing that happens in us. Because as we continue on in the Christian life, we're not necessarily just praying over the sin of uh, drinking or alcohol or the perversion of entertainment, but we're talking about the sin of our carelessness in ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people around us. to carelessness to our love for souls our love for our soul is one thing but our love for other souls is another There's a carelessness, a way that as preachers that we have uh, ministered to people. And we give them an opportunity to come and respond to Jesus. How many of us have said a sinner's prayer with somebody and saw the ineffectiveness of it? You prayed a prayer with them and they never got born of God and they never got right with the Lord in their life. And when that happened, how many of you noticed their life didn't change? There's no fruitfulness in it. Their devotional life didn't change. Their heart didn't change in the matter. And we were satisfied with it. We were fine with that as an end result. And God's not. You know, Jesus does something and he doesn't just strip us down, but he makes us brand new. And if somebody came to Jesus today and they didn't get brand new, then I'm sorry. But I'm struggling because I don't feel like that's what the value of the cross was all about. I don't feel like that's what Jesus died for. I don't feel like that's good enough for him. But it might be enough for me to feel like I just hung up another trophy on my shelf and said I finally got another soul to come to Jesus. When we read the Bible and we see what people do and live, Jesus made a statement. He said, they shall know you by your fruits. They will know you by your fruits. They don't know you because you go to church. And they don't know you because you say Jesus' name. And they don't know you because you have gifts. They know you by your fruits. And I'm challenged because it's important for us to live a life that demonstrates the faithfulness of Jesus in the most minute details of our individual life. It's important for us to live that way. You're a testimony. And as much as I want to encourage that testimony here, I also want to realize that for some of us here in this place, and I don't know who you are, but some of us in this place have things dragging us down with God, and we need to get it right. third part, known by your fruits. I want to read in verse 10 here. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that Goes forth out of my mouth, and it shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish that which I please, and shall prosper in the thing that I sent it. God is saying this: that it is the same way the rain comes down from the earth and produces fruit. The same way that it produces fruit, not devotion. Devotion will be a piece of the puzzle, but it's not hype. It's not ecstatic praise. But it's the same way that when water comes down, it produces fruit. will be the same thing that happens when God sends His Word. We can't miss that. We can't miss it. And so I've had this challenge in my life was how do you discern? How do we discern whether someone or something is of God or is not of God? And there's two things out of the Word of God that were given for discernment. Two things. And Jesus gave one of them, He actually spoke of both of them in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Matthew 7, chapter chapter 7, verse 15. Starting at Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Beware of those who look like they're a Christian on the outside. Beware of those who paint a picture of being faithful to God outwardly. i got to say that I think that's probably the hardest thing to discern. The hardest thing to figure out. But these are the words of Jesus. And you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, and a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. Jesus was basically saying this. I don't give a care what they preach. I don't care how they look like on the outside. Are they living a life that you see evil coming behind the scenes? Are they doing things that bring forth evil or are good? A good tree brings forth, in verse 18, cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. And every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, he says it again, you shall know them. This whole spectrum is here on the fruit of Christian living. The fruit of Christian behavior. I like the way Leonard Ravenhill says it. We believe it, but we don't behave it. We need to behave and live the way God intended for us to live. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, listen to the listen to the consequences of missing into this mark shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of the father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done? Have we not prophesied in your name? Listen to this. We've prophesied in your name and in your name, cast out devils and in your name done many wonderful works. And this is what Jesus said, because of a lack of fruitfulness in their life, a lack of faithfulness in their life. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from you, you that work in equity. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, will be likened unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. I wonder if it's this. I wonder if the lack of fruitfulness isn't just sinful behavior. I wonder if the lack of fruitfulness is the fact that we listen to the Word of God and we don't follow its direction. Jesus said it this way. He said, he that hears it and then follows what God says is likened to a man who built his house upon the rock. And when the storms came, that the house stayed up up and did not fall. But then He says, but he that hears the Word and doesn't do it shall be likened to the man who built his house upon the sand. And when the storms come, and they do come, that he'll fall, and great will be the fall of that person. There's a need to not just be hearers of the Word of God, but doers of the Word of God. To understand there's instructions in the Scriptures for us to live by. And when we ignore the the instruction, and we ignore the commands of God to us, there's always a lack of fruitfulness there. There's always a life that's withering, and there's always a loss, and never again, When we come to that place where we do not obey what we hear, and this is the difference of Sunday services only, because Monday and Tuesday and all the way back to Saturday is the day we put in practice, hopefully not just what we heard on Sunday, but what you read on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday in your devotional lives. And then again, it says is interesting in verse twenty-five, and the rain descended and the floods came and. Oh wait, sorry. Profess I never knew him depart from me. Therefore, in verse twenty-four, I'll oh, if I need to read it over again. Therefore, whosoever hears these things of mine, and and does them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not. I want to just say something. This is when we're facing trials in our life. And just as interesting, we think of the rain that comes down and the the produce that comes up from the ground. But I wonder if what we're really looking at is the rain that comes down and the storm that comes and there's still the produce, that produces the fruitfulness of a Christian who stands strong in his storms. Of a brother or sister who faces uh, difficulties and trials and still remains faithful to God. And this isn't a change in your behavior in any way. And In reality, it lifts you up in a spirit of worship because In this, you may not feel like there's a degree of blessing in your song or even presence in your song, but you still lift it up in the midst of that storm. And God is testing us in the storms. God is testing our faithfulness in the difficulties we face. And I just would say this, beware of the things that you're asking God to take away. Because even Paul did that. He said he prayed for the thorn to go away. And God says, My grace is sufficient in your time of weakness. When you're struggling, my grace is sufficient. Why does God reduce us down? in the same way that he did Gideon in his army, that God reduces us to a sense of nothingness so that he can be everything behind the scenes of our life. And we have to cherish those moments in our life, even begin to embrace those times when it feels like, Lord, I want to pray this out. I want to be out from under the struggle that I am. But I believe that you actually intend good to come out of this. And it's not just that God wants the struggle. He wants the purification that takes place in your heart as you lift your heart to him in in difficult circumstances. verse 26, everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Isn't it interesting, the absurdity? How many of you here would raise your hand and say, if I were to build a house, I would like to go take it out on the beachfront property in Miami somewhere, and just stick it right on the sand. How many want to build it? And some people have kind of built their house on the sand. But what's the idea behind building? It's the lack of logic behind it, the stupidity of any man who would think to build his house upon the sand would be a fool. And the idea that we would hear what God says and not follow it would be just as foolish. And it ought to feel just as foolish. Why would you take in the words of God and treat it as if it had never happened and it wasn't true to you? So let me give you something here that I think Jesus talks about here, the, the fruitfulness, but he's also talking about doctrine as well. What's what's the thing that I'm wondering is what are we putting in front of our eyes these days? Isn't it helping us become better Christians? Is it helping us live life fuller for God? What about this? Here's a thought: Is our even in our home that. There's not time hardly for anything to entertain us because when we have a spare moment, it's there's another opportunity to share the gospel or minister to somebody in our lives. But I think that that's the, the call of Jesus is when Jesus called his disciples, he called them away from their norms of life, and he called them into a life of discipleship and ministry to the world. And while we're entertaining ourselves, the world is dying around us. And so I wonder if maybe one of the greatest areas that we need influenced in this way is is that we would be actually a product of witness in the world around us. And, and how do we justify it? When we finally stand before God on our judgment day, when we stand before Him, how do we justify all the entertainment tubes that we've had in all of the things that we minister to? You know, in my day it used to be television. You know, We watched things like uh, um, Dukes of Hazzard and, and the A-Team and MacGyver. And those are the things that I grew up in. And that's what entertained me, and that's what took my mind. And now today, nobody knows about any of those except for the guys that grew up in my time. Somebody knows about it. Praise the Lord. Here we go. I guess it's not too young for anybody. But now we have, uh, now we have this. We have Facebook. I didn't have that. We have cell phones. For a long time, I didn't even have that. I didn't even know what it, the cell phone didn't exist. We have YouTube. We have inter- inter- Internet. And my warning is this, I I guess I just want to say this, is just think about it. One day you're going to get to stand before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Did you use your time well? Did you make the best use of it for His glory? Ask yourself this question, is what I'm doing right now, and what I do in my life, was it worthy of His sacrifice? And today we're seeing more and more of this flood of just, folks, we have our phones on us constantly. And I was in a restaurant the, the other day, and something that just really plagued me was this song. I know you guys have seen the same thing, but this man, and it looked like his son had come and, and had, had a dinner together. And when he was done with his dinner, he was walking up to the front, and his son had his phone in his hand like this the whole time. I mean, I don't even know how he kept from hitting the tables and knocking into things, but we've become so skilled at looking at the face of our phones that we literally can navigate through a maze and make it to the end somehow, which is ridiculous to me, but somehow it happens and Here he is wandering around and then he stands up there while his dad pays for the food and he asks for a refill on his drink. The kid does, and uh actually he's he's about he looked about my age, maybe a little bit younger than me, but about my size and height, so he's not like a kid kid. And uh, then they go to start walking out, and he leaves his drink set there on the counter. And he's like still on his phone the whole time. He didn't even take his eyes off the thing. And then I think it was his dad that realized, are you going to get your drink? And he's like, oh, oh, yeah. He's like, well, it's your drink. Go get it. Like he just stood there with his phone in his hand waiting for his dad to go get his drink from him. That may feel weird, but more and more we're coming into homes and meetings with our own families and we're seeing more and more people, uh, their focus is on their phones. You'll see 15 different people and 14 of them will be on their phone and the next one will be here shortly. The reality is, is that this is the generation. We can't hardly put our phone down long enough, even in our marriages, to talk toward one another about the things that are important and necessary. And did Jesus Christ pay the price? Did He shed His blood? Did the Son of God come down to pay the price so that we could continue to live like this in our world? I think the difference is, is that we don't have a picture of what a healthy, healthy uh, Christian, holy life we should look like a lot of times. So this is what we get grafted into, and we fail to realize that God wants us to get out of this, and there's no fruitfulness in it. And so what's interesting to me is is this, that the Holy Spirit comes at so little cost today. We want the Spirit of God, the one who comes and gives us the power of miracles, the power to be able to pray and lay hands on people and see them recover. We want to see the Spirit of God begin to move in a Pentecostal way like it was, not just to be able to... What we're looking for is that souls that don't know God is that 3,000 souls would be born again in one day and that same Spirit dwell in us and we will we will have the Holy Spirit come at such a low cost. You will give a dime to God and you expect Him to give the fullness of His Spirit into your life. We have such a little admiration for the things of the Lord. We hear in other countries, in other people, in other countries that they literally rip the pages out of the Bible so that they can give it to somebody else and the reason for that is, is so that that person can memorize that page and that they can send it to the next person after they're done memorizing it. And they have such a high regard for the Word of God. Men like Dmitry Dudeman who literally was a Bible smuggler and he would hide them in a trunk. And that those who were looking for the Soviets and the communists that were looking for the Bibles opened up the trunk full of Bibles and couldn't find one of them in there. And that's amazing to me. But that same God that we're asking for him to demonstrate his mightiness in our life, do you know what these men went through? Do you know the torture and the struggle and the persecution that they faced? That the Holy Spirit, to have the Spirit of God, was at high cost for these men. It was sacrificial. But today we can, watch, uh, we can watch our favorite game show. And after that, receive the baptism and the blessing of God's Spirit on us. That's foolish. We don't even have to read our Bible. All we have to do is flip to the next guy on, on television or YouTube and he can tell us every direction God has for us. And we may never know what the Bible says for ourselves. And this is the, this is the other crux to the whole thing. Because Jesus was telling us if you're going to discern, you're going to discern them by their fruits and their doctrine. I want you to go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. If I had one request, I would tell people to turn off off your phone and turn off the television and read your Bible. It would be just that simple. In chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times... I guess I'll stop and wait for you guys to stop turning your pages. Now the Spirit speaks expressly in the latter times that some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron. The very basics of the doctrine they live in. It says giving heed to seducing spirits. There's spirits all around us, and we'll give in to the seducing ones if we don't know the Word of God. You have got to know the Word of God for yourself. You cannot let somebody else teach you what God's instruction for you is in your own life. Or you're going to give heed to seducing spirits says it in 1 John, we have no need that another man teach us. And here you are listening to a man teach you. We have no need of another man teach us, but that same anointing which abides in you shall teach you all things. What this man should be doing when he's preaching to you should be confirming what God has already taught you. And when you've heard from Him, then it's not a confusion. And as you've watched and Paid attention and focused on the word of God and made that your life. You'll discern. One last scripture, Second Timothy. Timothy decided to write about this one more time. Second Timothy chapter four, verses two and four. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Preach the word in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Listen to what he said. He said, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The time will come when they will not endure it, but after their own Lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall turn unto fables. There's a reason why the apostle was warning us. The apostle was telling Timothy, You're a young preacher, but you have to see this that if you don't get grounded in the word and preach the word of God and make sure that it's sound doctrine. There will come in others who will bring in fables and other things. And they may use portions of the Bible. They may reference the Bible, but they'll take it out of context. And they will destroy the integrity of the gospel while they do it. And they will have multitudes that follow. Why? Because it, it, it ministers to the lusts, not the heart, but the lusts of the person. And there's people who have a desire for self-fulfillment. And their idea is that Jesus Christ is just a means of self-fulfillment. And that's not what it's about. And here it is preaching to the heart. And so it's going to get into the groundwork of that one place in your life, that chapter in your life you don't want anybody to read about. It's not a comical chapter. It's not a joyous chapter. It's the chapter in your life that nobody knows about. It's the hypocrisy that's undermining everything else in your Christianity. And you need to let God have His way in your life. And so the preacher's talking to you about your heart and your life and that chapter in your life that you're ignoring. And when you keep ignoring that chapter in your life, you'll see no fruitfulness. There will be no life. There will be no product that God has in mind for you. But I could tell you something that might tickle your ears and feed your lust. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that preacher. That's why Jesus said, be not hearers only, but but doers of the word. So two things that we discern ourselves and we discern others in, by the fruit of their life and the doctrine that they preach. And I can tell you this, you spend too much time listening to everybody else preach, you'll never really know what the Bible says. Just read it. Follow what it says. Now I love, these are the ones you've all been waiting for. You're just like, when is he going to get to the good stuff? Amen, amen. Verse eleven. Go back to, uh, <laughs> go back to Isaiah fifty-five. Verse eleven. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth, and it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish the thing that I please, not that you please. But that I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. See, I wonder if the conversion that needs to take place in our hearts is, Lord, would I would you just quit praying for God to do what you want? And would you start praying what God what God wants to do? On a deeper level, pray for what God wants to do. Because He says, My word shall not return void as long as it's in what I please, and what I plan for too. And in verse 12, and you shall go forth out with joy and be led forth with peace and the mountains and the hills shall break break forth before you with singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. I just want to see this. I want to see this in demonstration that the nature itself is rejoicing. The nature itself around you is praising God. It's as if this is the day of where the sun shines and everything around you with the wind blowing in the trees is just creating a clapter and a laughter within the universe and nature itself because you finally stepped up to what God's plan is for your life and you won't abandon it. Nothing's going to change that in your life. And listen to me. I read I spent a whole time I spent a whole uh, course in reading over church conflict and you know what it was pretty much summed up to about it was summed up over pretty much the feelings and the emotions that get involved in it. Not the Word of God, but the emotions that get involved. And the breakdowns of our lives and struggles fall into that category. And once you begin to just serve God on the basis of His truth, and you love Him for who He is, and you just just do what He says, regardless of the atmosphere and the feeling, then this happens as a result. is that You shall go out and you shall see you'll be with joy. It's not a matter of you trying to figure it out and ask God for joy. It's just there. It just happens that there's a fullness of the praise. And I love this because we had the trees already singing up here this morning. We had the beauty of the worship in His presence. But why is it? Why is it that some Christians, when it comes to worship, can't enter in? Why is it that some of us sit there as if we're dull and we're not sensing or embracing the presence of God in the moment? Why is it that we're not moved To worship God on a higher level ourselves. I wonder if it's the atmosphere of our hearts that provides for the atmosphere of worship. So that when our hearts are not in obedience and in union and correction with God, then we don't have a worship in its fullness. And I know that because when there's a point of disobedience in my life, I don't feel like there's joy. There's an ease of worship and a blessing. And in verse 13, Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name of an everlasting. It shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Instead of thorns, instead of something prickly in a briar bush, basically it's a fir tree. Now I looked up fir tree, and what it was usually used was for construction of some of the wood and stuff within the sanctuaries or the temples. But it was also used for construction for praise instruments and worship instruments. And so what we're we're seeing here is, is that this is... This is something that is a byproduct it's going to bless you, but the reality is, is that your life lifts itself up to the testimony that honors Jesus Christ to the fullest. What we're literally saying is that, God, I'm wanting, and through Isaiah 55, through the steps of faith and repentance and actually living out the Word of God as you've called me to, that I want to live a life that's so fruitful that it flashes the worthiness of Jesus all over it. I want that, Lord, what you died for in my life why you suffered, that it didn't suffer in vain, but that you gave yourself full And I live a life that brings glory and praise and worship to you. And I wonder if that's the desire of our hearts today, is that, Lord, I don't want to be caught up in anything, in any emotion, in any struggle with another person that doesn't bring glory to the name of Jesus, that doesn't honor Him to the fullest. Every prayer that I pray, I want it to be heartfelt, And fully glorify the God of heaven. I want to be the David who challenges the Philistine of our day. And I want to be the one who looks at this Philistine and says, This is about the glory of God. You understand, I don't want to fall into a form of godliness with no power thereof. I don't want to live that life, not because it's going to do anything for me in particular, but because I don't see how Jesus is going to get the glory and the honor. I don't see how He's going to get it if we just fall in formality and do the traditions around us. God wants something greater than that. I don't want to be the Christian who spends the rest of his life going his mind on television when Jesus Christ couldn't have possibly given Himself for that. I don't want to be the guy who steps back and says, Lord, use somebody else because I'm not fit for the kingdom of God right now. I don't want to be that person. And I don't think anybody in here wants to be that person. I don't think we want to spend our time fluctuating in a ministry that doesn't go anywhere because we don't see fruitfulness behind those who are uh, in the, the ministry in some way. And so we all have a part to play in God's kingdom. But the reality is that we can't just stand by and just let it happen. We've got to give our lives to Jesus and surrender wholly to Him. And that way, when you go to work and you have somebody that shares with you and says, I don't know, I don't believe in Jesus because of all the hypocrites that go to church. They can't call you that. You know what I mean? It's just like, they, they do that. It's like, well, the, you know, so in all these things. But you're not that example in front of them. And the beauty of watching somebody who doesn't know the Lord but goes to work with you start to, to tear up because he realizes there's something very powerful about Jesus' testimony inside of you one way or another. And you don't live a life that makes them wonder, I don't know about this one. I don't know. And what they see of you, they begin to recognize and call out on Jesus. And I pray that for all of us. And um, if I weren't here, I'd still be saying the same thing. I just want you guys to know that. It doesn't change for me either. I want that in my life in every way. I'm asking the Lord to do that right now. I want to give you guys an opportunity to respond to the Lord. This this altar time what I call is not a uh, is not just a repentance time. This is a prayer time after the service if you want to call it. Basically, those of you who want to see the Lord do more and you can you can come up front, you can do it right there in your chair as far as I'm concerned. But I I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord and get uh the Lord's blessing in this. And I'm preach my heart out because I believe that Jesus gave His heart out to us. And what we want for this next week, and what I would ask is that this church, as the worship team comes up, I would ask for you as we just continue in a time of worship, um, to just pray the Lord, this church, minister to this community. That you guys minister to this community and pray for God's touch in this community today for those who just need the Lord today. And so I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord these are my favorite times, to be honest. I love the time just to be able to respond to His presence. No man to stop that or prevent it. God just has some great